Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 8, we have the incredible account of Jesus healing a woman who had been bleeding for 12 straight years. Additionally, we find Jesus raising a synagogue ruler's daughter to life. Most of us, when we are sick and struggling, often go everywhere else to find wholeness and healing and only go to Jesus when nothing else works. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 8 and look at the incredible opportunity we have to experience the power, love, and healing of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Saturday afternoon, almost Saturday evening here in Texas, and uh, hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus. Um, we say it every time, uh, the meaning of life is growing in deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, and the number one way we do that is by spending time in the scripture, spending time in the living word of God. We spend time studying the scriptures, obviously reading the scriptures, but most importantly, uh, we spend time obeying the scriptures and earnestly repenting when we fall short. And as we grow to do these things more and more, along with, of course, prayer and thanksgiving and praise and worship and, and uh, you know, just uh, Christian community, um, the more we do this, the, the more deep we'll grow in our relationship with Jesus. The more we'll really know him, the more we'll desire it, right? So <clears throat> thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, today, Lord willing, we're going to finish up Luke 8. Uh, the plan is to do verses 40 to 56. Um, extremely powerful, uh, powerful, uh, just, uh, you know, teaching here with uh, Jesus is going to miraculously heal, you know, two separate people here in two different ways. And it's, uh, it's just incredible. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, and your goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love and your grace. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us and living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a horrible, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding 
and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. <clears throat> Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just uh, again, just just seeing and witnessing the power of Jesus you know, in these scriptures is just, uh, you know, it's just overwhelming. Obviously, it had been incredible to witness it when it happened. But when we read the word of God, right, we read it and it's like we're witnessing it ourselves, right? It's not like we're there 2000 years ago, but it's the living word of God. These things really happened in the way that the scriptures tell us, right? All right, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Um, if you recall, Jesus came back from, from Gentile regions where he had healed a, a, a demon-possessed man. Um, and we talked about that, and that was an incredible healing. Um, and now he's back into, you know, uh, the Jewish region. And it says that, you know, he was welcomed, for they were all expecting him. Um, and that ought to be our hearts. We ought to have a heart of desiring Jesus, welcoming Jesus, and expecting Jesus in every aspect of our lives, right? Wherever we are, whatever's going on in our lives, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, whether we're excited, whether we're in a, whether we're in a, uh, you know, uh, just a, a healthy season of life or whether we're, we're going through some struggles, there's nothing in our life Again, that's going to help us more than welcoming Jesus and expecting him and desiring him literally in every aspect of our life, right? 41, then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Um... Jairus is, it says, a ruler of the synagogue. So, I mean, this is a very, very prominent position. I mean, this would be like, you know, the senior pastor of a, of a big, huge, you know, 20,000 member megachurch, right? Um, and, you know, he has a girl, a daughter, 
that's 12 years old and she's dying, right? So, you know, like pretty much all of us, there's nothing in our lives, right? That's, that's not going to move us, right? When we have a child, you know, that's, that's dying. And so even though he's the synagogue ruler and the vast majority of the Jewish leaders did not believe in Jesus, again, he has a 12-year-old daughter and she's dying. And so he goes to Jesus. He goes publicly, right? He knows that, you know, that it won't do him any good if he, if he tries to hide it. So he goes to, to, to Jesus publicly not worrying about what everyone's going to think, right? Again, this man would have been well-known. He would have been very prominent. Undoubtedly, he'd have been very wealthy. But none of that stops the death of a child, right? And it says that he came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Um, and so the man humbles himself before Jesus. Now, again, uh, you know, Almost every verse we could say this. This is where we ought to be. We ought to be at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come to our house, right? You and I need to consistently be, May, at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come to our house, to come into to whatever situations are going on in our lives on behalf of ourselves and others. So, the heart of this man, right? Where do we go when we have problems? Obviously, we, uh, you know, we, we, we go to doctors and things and the Lord has provided that and that's a good thing. But when we have sickness, right, or disease or financial troubles or relational troubles or whatever they are, there's no better place to be. The ultimate place where we need to be is at the feet of Jesus, humbling ourselves before him. It's at the feet of Jesus that we get saved from our sin? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you received Jesus as your only Lord and Savior? A Christian is someone who's presently trusting and relying on Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, right? Are you right now fully trusting and relying on Jesus, knowing that you're hopeless, helpless, and desperate, a sinner, and that without Jesus, only hell awaits. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus? Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now hear me, I say this every time, it's not our words that save us. You just don't puppet some words and you're saved. But we use our words to communicate our heart to Jesus, right? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus and called out to him? If you're not sure, if you think maybe you just have a, an intellectual belief in Jesus and you're not sure that you're genuinely trusting him, you can simply humble yourself now and, and use the words I'm going to use. But remember, it's the sincerity and the genuineness of your heart that matters to God, right? Just simply humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinful person. And I know I can't save myself. Lord, I know that I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm desperate. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. 
And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect, torturous death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. Therefore, I ask you now, I humble myself and I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian, right? Uh, when the Bible says to believe in Jesus, it, it means to trust in him, to rely on him, to cling to him, to have your full faith and confidence in Jesus alone, right? So again, if you're not sure, rewind the tape, use the words I used, and again, humble yourself with as sincere and genuine as a heart as you can and, and, and give your life to Jesus, right? All of us, that's where we begin. Then when we become Christians for the rest of our lives, we spend our life growing to know Jesus and, you know, expecting him and wanting him to be a part of everything we do and asking him to help us in repenting where we fall short, right? As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Verse 42, um, you know, I was studying for this and scholars say that, you know, that the amount of people were meaning... He, he was almost literally just crushed, right? Um, almost suffocated. There were so many people pressing up against him. So try to imagine this. Again, uh, the words of verse 42 are, are clear. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Okay? So it's just, it's a scene that's just hard to imagine, right? 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Most of the other versions say that she spent all the money she had on doctors. She spent all her money over the last 12 years going to doctors, and yet none of it helped, right? So she's, she's broke. She spent all her money trying to get well, and still she's... She's in a very bad place. Now, in, the, in, in Jesus's day, in Jewish culture, this would make a woman what's called unclean. And she wasn't allowed to be around any other people, um, you know, while she, was, while she was bleeding, right? When a woman was, at, was, was going through her, her monthly cycle, she was considered unclean. And anyone she touched would be unclean. And so imagine being in this state for 12 years of not bleeding, going to all the doctors, spending all of your money, and still you haven't got well. And how many people can relate to that? How many of us have gone to doctors? We've certainly spent money. We've sought everywhere for healing, but, we, but we've never found it, right? Because there's really, when it's all said and done, there's only really one place to find healing, right? Before you're a Christian, you find healing for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul only in Jesus. All 8 billion people in the world need Jesus today. And as Christians, it's the same way. In every, any area of we need life, any, in any area of our life, we need healing. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. Right, Melanie? We, we, we only find that healing in Jesus, right? Look at verse 44. She came up behind him 
and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Immediately, 12 years, right? She tried everything. She went everywhere. She spent all her money. She tried all the doctors. Nothing works. She had faith, right? Now, just to go out into that crowd, again, it would have been considered that she would have been making everyone else unclean. And it would have been considered that by touching Jesus, that she would have made him unclean. Now, remember, she is unclean. But here's the power, right? of this encounter with Jesus. Again, the law said that she would make anyone that she touched unclean. But when she touched Jesus, Jesus didn't get unclean. And as a matter of fact, when she touched Jesus, she was made clean. Do you see that? I mean, again, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately the bleeding stopped. The woman had faith. She had tried everything else for 12 years and she fully believed, right? Now, again, we don't know the extent of her faith. We don't know that her faith was in the, you know, was in the touching of the tassel or the, you know, the edge of his cloak there. Um, but, you know, even though her faith was misplaced, perhaps Jesus met her where she was. She had the boldness she had the faith, right, to push through a crowd that's so dense, right, that's just so big and strong that Jesus is, is, is almost crushed, right? Somehow she powers her way through, just puts her hand on the edge of her cloak, believing, right? Look what it says. Verse 45, who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are all crowding and pressing against you, right? So, you know, Peter's like, you know, well, what are you talking about who touched me? People are slamming into you. People are pressing up on you. What do you mean, right? Um, it's amazing how many times we see this in the scriptures, and particularly from Peter. Uh, yeah, Peter, Jesus is aware that the crowd is, is so dense that he's nearly crushed, but, you know, that's not what he's talking about, right? Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, I know that power has gone out from me. Now, Jesus knows who it is, right? But he's speaking this, and he's speaking this because of verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When I was studying this, the scholar said that this is the only time that Jesus referred to someone with this name, daughter, right? Um, it's, it's an endearing term, right? Uh, you know, again, he is God. Again, the woman had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. She could have been the same age as Jesus, could have been older, right? Um, but it says, you know, Jesus said he knows that power came out of him, okay? 
Jesus is God. Okay, just to, to be in the presence of Jesus, even today, there can be manifest healings, right? Um, again, Jesus is our healer, right? Ultimately, now, you know, the majority of time, he does it through ordinary means, right? Um, he does it through the means at our disposal. And we're, we're going to see that at the end, right? When he, when he raises, you know, Jairus's daughter from the dead, when he calls her spirit back into her body, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do what they can do in the ordinary way, right? Um, I mean, he says, you know, give her something to eat, right? Um, in verse 55, it says, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. So again, he does what no one else can do. But then he says, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So he could have obviously, you know, raised her from the dead, called her spirit back into her body. By the way, he's calling her spirit back from eternity, okay? So her spirit has gone into eternity, right? It's gone into, you know, into the holding place where spirits would have gone, where, you know, when people died before Jesus was resurrected. Now, when a Christian dies, right, um, they immediately go to heaven, right? And, you know, we await our, our judgment as believers, you know, for our reward for how we lived our life in Christ. If someone doesn't know Jesus, then the, the spirit goes out and awaits judgment in hell. Right. Um, and so, you know, when it says her spirit returned, Jesus is calling her spirit back from eternity. So, again, um, I mean, there are presumably billions and billions and billions of spirits there. Right. Um, it's kind of a big deal, right? How many people had died? It's so clearly God, um, you know, Jesus knows exactly who she is, know what spirit goes in what body. I mean, it speaks for itself. I say this over and over and over, right, Scott? We have to know who we're dealing with here in Jesus, Corinne, right? All right. The woman, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Again, that's where we all belong, right? It says she couldn't go unnoticed. Um, you know, maybe Jesus is, uh, is staring at her, right? Maybe he's looking right at her. And the reason he's doing this, right? The scholars made a good point when I was studying this. He's not doing this to embarrass her. He's doing this to encourage her. He's doing this to give her freedom. He's doing this to give her peace, right? Very possibly she, you know, she might have thought if she just kind of was able to to get away, right? And, you know, she might have had fear that this was going to come back, right? But Jesus wanted to assure her that her healing was certain, right? And so perhaps Jesus is looking right at her. And that's why it says, then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Again, this is where we all need to be, right? Um, again, I'm saying metaphorically. Now, again, it's good to get on our knees and pray. C.S. Lewis said that as animals, human, being, as human beings are animals, and so what our bodies do affects our spirit and our soul, right? So it's good to be at our, on our knees and praying to Jesus, but it's just a humble, you know, attitude of our heart to be, you know, at the feet of Jesus. And that's where we want to be consistently and humbly, right? 
came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. And again, this is a massive crowd near crushing and suffocating Jesus, right? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Jesus, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So again, she, she, she told everybody there that she believed that if she just touched the hem of his cloak, that she'd be healed. Now, understand, there's nothing magic about his clothes, okay? It's Jesus that healed her. So her faith here is not even, it's, it's imperfect, right? But she had faith enough to know that if I can just get next to Jesus, just get something on Jesus, there's nothing mystical about his clothes. It's important we understand that. But, but he met her where she was. It took faith, it took courage, it took strength to push her way out into the crowd and to do that. And that, that needs to be the attitude of our hearts. We need to, you know, we need to push and press into Jesus, right, Jason, with a, with a zeal, with a passion, with a strength. We need to press into Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, and, and we'll, you know, every one of us want to hear these words. Then he said to her daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace. And, and our faith heals you. He'll say today, daughter or son, your faith has healed you. Ultimately, we first need to be healed from our sin as we become Christians and part of the body of Christ and the, and the bride of Christ, right? And then, you know, we spend the rest of our lives growing and maturing and getting greater and greater healing in Jesus until we ultimately leave this life or Jesus returns, and then we have the ultimate healing, right? Where we go on to heaven, where never again will we, uh, you know, will we have any type of physical or emotional or mental struggles, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, Lord, Father, we just worship you and thank you. And uh, Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would come and that you would return. And you would return and rule on this earth. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible ends in Revelation 22 with the Apostle John saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When Jesus comes back, everything will be made whole, right? Everything will be made right. Mm. And hear him say to you, son or daughter, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. We need to grow in our faith in Jesus and it's not the amount of our faith we need. It's the, you know, Jesus said you can have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you can tell a mountain to go from where it is and to move into the sea and it'll listen to you. But it's the, the quality of our faith, not the quantity of it. We need, our faith needs to be refined. It needs to be purified. And often Jesus does that with trials and tribulations, which, uh, which I confess I, I don't enjoy, right? But it's the trials and tribulations of our faith that, 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 that allow our faith to be refined and purified. And, uh, and there's nothing better for us than to grow and mature and have a more refined and purified faith in Jesus, right? All right, verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Some scholars postulate that. Imagine what it would have been like for Jairus, right? It's got to be hard. You know, you remember, he ran to Jesus. He's the synagogue ruler. 
He's humbled himself. He's shown everyone he has faith that Jesus can heal his daughter, right? He's been bold about it. Um, all the Jews, this is the ruler of the synagogue, right? And again, the religious leaders rejected Jesus. Um, and yet now Jesus is stuck. I got You, you got to know that Jairus is trying to get Jesus to his house as soon as possible. But then Jesus stops and takes time. And the thing with this lady coming up and touching him, and yeah, I'm glad she's healed, but but we got to get back to my daughter. We got to get back to my daughter. Hurry up, hurry up, right? So it had to be like torture for him for it just like taking so long, right? And all of us can relate to that, right? What's it like? You know, the woman gets healed instantly, right? She comes up and touches Jesus and it's instant. Jairus, it's delayed, right? He comes he humbles himself before Jesus. Interestingly, you know, he comes boldly and humbles himself publicly. The woman secretly goes in originally, right? So you see this, this incredible contrast, right? Um, but, uh, you know, again, you know, his miracle was delayed. Her miracle was instant, right? Um, he's extremely prominent. This woman has is, is got to be at the, the lowest level of society, right? She's broke. She spent all her money on, on, uh, on doctors. She's been ceremonially unclean and not supposed to be in social settings for 12 years. Yeah, I think she's paid her dues. <laughs> I mean, what was it like for the healing to come, right? All of us, right? Almost all of us are at a place when the good news comes, when the peace comes, when the, the blessing comes, whatever it is, right? The satisfaction and the peace and the joy is uh, is 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 more than words can can account for, right? More than words can express, and all we can do is worship you, Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, right? Mm. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Imagine what that felt like for him. Imagine how crushed he must have felt, right? Jesus was almost crushed physically. Imagine the heartache, you know, undoubtedly he would have thought that, you know, it's too late now. He didn't get there. I mean, he begged him to come because his daughter was at death, but Jesus could heal her. But look what Jesus said, verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And again, it's imagine how hard this is for this man, right? This father hearing this, okay? Someone comes to Jairus and, say, Jairus and says, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And, and Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And, and again, is there anything greater than us having a growing belief, a growing faith, a growing trust in Jesus? And it's not easy, right? But Jesus has proven himself faithful every single time. It's an unlimited number, countless trillions, quadrillions, right, of times, you know, infinity amount of times Jesus has always been faithful. When Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Keep putting one step in front of another. 
till we get to your house, Jairus, and she will be healed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Peter, James, and John. Peter, John, and James are often considered Jesus's inner circle. You know, we're not told why that, you know, why that is. Um, you know, some some scholars or commentators said that uh, maybe they needed to be looked out for the most, right? Um, but, um, you know, this is Jesus's inner circle. So it says he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Now, why is that? 52. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. 53. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Okay, so in, in Jesus's time, when, when someone died, you would actually hire what are called professional mourners, and you would, you would pay them to come and loudly mourn in grief, to bring mourning and grief and sadness and crying. And they were paid to do this. That's why they can just go so quickly, you know, from this tremendous mourning, right? Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus knows that, again, it's superficial. Because if you're a professional mourner, it's not your child, this is your job to, again, create a more dramatic scene of crying. It's, it's ridiculous, right? Jesus said, stop wailing. Jesus said, she is not dead, but asleep. So look at this, verse 53, they go from mourning to laughing. They laughed at him. They mocked him, right? Knowing that she was dead. So you can see why Jesus didn't let any of these people in, right? He's not going to let these people who are laughing and mocking, you know what? Y'all get outside right? You're not going to get to see this miracle, right? And again, it's something we want to be very, uh, very cognizant of in our own lives, right? Obviously, as believers, we're, you know, hopefully we don't ever mock Jesus. We know who he is and, you know, we're all in a different place in our walk with him and we need to grow to trust him more and more. But there is nothing he can do. He's God. There's nothing that's impossible for him, right? But, you know, if you have found that you've mocked Jesus before or, not, or spoken ill of Jesus or, or just said something foolish and, you know, almost all of us have said very, very foolish things in our lives. You're like me at the top of the list. Um, but just repent. Just say, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry for the foolish things I said. I'm sorry that I mocked you. I'm sorry that I laughed at you. I'm sorry that I said those foolish and ridiculous things to you or, or just anyone, right? Forgive me, Lord Jesus, and I'm sorry. And as we repent, the, the, the Bible promises in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? So again, all of us ought to have a lifestyle of consistently coming before Jesus, laying ourselves bare and confessing our sin, right, Peyton? All right. Verse 54. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. 55. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So again, 
All it is is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Jairus, and his wife. Imagine the joy. Imagine the, the power. Just imagine being there. This is our king. This is our master. This is our, this is our savior, right, Esther? This is Jesus, Lauren, right? But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. He spoke again. When Jesus speaks, it's the word of God, right? 55, her spirit returned. And we already talked about the incomprehensible miracle that is. But once he said it, it was happening, right? The world was created. The universe was created by the word of God. Jesus created the universe, right? You remember Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says that all things were created by him, Jesus, visible or invisible. We have a triune God, okay? That means that, you know, um, a triune God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, but they are three separate individual beings. They all have the nature of God. They're all on the same page. They're all all-powerful. They're all all-knowing, and they're all everywhere. Omnipresent, right? Omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere at all times, right? They live outside of time, right? And in Jesus... You actually have relationship with the triune God. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master and King, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is your guide, your counselor, your comforter, right? Without Jesus, there is no relationship with God in any way, nor can we know him in any way, Tom, right? All right. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Again, we see this principle. Jesus will do for us what we cannot do. No one could do what he did there. Call her spirit back to her body, raise her from the dead, right? But, you know, he doesn't do what, what you know, what they need to do. He could have raised her from the dead and fed her, right? He could have raised her with a full stomach. But he raised her, and then, he, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And again, that's, uh, that's an important principle for all of us. Jesus expects us to do what we can do, right? And as we continue to do what we can do, continue to repent where we fall short, continue to obey him, and not only for ourselves, but for others, right? They're obviously serving the girl here. So as we continue to, to serve others and, and do you know, what we can do for ourselves and, and as importantly for others, then Jesus will, you know, will do the things we can't do. Right. All right. Verse 56, her parents were astonished. Yeah, I guess so. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Why, did, why is that? Right. Her parents were astonished. Remember, it's only Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, John, Jesus, and the 12-year-old girl, no one else saw it. Now, obviously, people are going to see the girl come out of the house, right? We understand her parents were astonished, but why this? But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Again, Jesus did not want to be chased. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior, right, Kristen? He's the Savior of the world. We need to believe and trust in Jesus first and foremost 
for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Now in Jesus, everything is available to us. Without Jesus, nothing is available to us, right? Um, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened, again, because he didn't want to be chased, right? And believed in only as a miracle worker, right? It, it, it had gotten to a place where, where people had believed in Jesus as a miracle worker, but they rejected him as the Messiah, right? They would run to him, right, to, to have their sicknesses healed, but yet then they, they would reject him, you know, as Messiah. And so we need to know Jesus as our Savior first, right? And then all the other doors are opened in and through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for your incredible mercy in healing this 12-year-old girl and this woman who had not stopped bleeding for 12 years, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you. We ask you to help us, Lord, to have faith like this woman did who'd been bleeding for 12 years and faith like Jairus to go publicly before Jesus and just ask for your mercy and your healing, Lord. We just love you, Lord Jesus, and we bless you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. We commit it into your hands. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.